from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. In the situation, think about who the Padres are and the swagger that they have. If it's Tatis who hits that home run, oh. I mean, they they probably oh. would have stopped the game. This is the press box. Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had like a party on the field. Yeah. Ed Rainey and Adam Candy. For the that, bat toss would still be in the air. The, uh, absolutely. It would still be in the air. Uh, like Manny Machado would have would have gone out to the mound, pulled his pants yes. down, taken a dump on the mound, <laughs> and said, you pitch through this for the rest of the day. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ah, major news. Major news Sunday was out at the Raiders practice. I thought it was going to be a normal day, waving some fans. They got all excited about being at the Raiders, watching the team play. And look what breaks in the afternoon. Adam Candy, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Ed. I, I didn't have the the pressure that you did of waving uh, to your adoring fans at the Raiders practice. What a di- what a disaster! Had to go inside and write. So I wanted just to write the uh, wanted to write the uh, Raiders practice. Have a nice uh, calm day. But instead, we get this: the first bite. How difficult of a decision was it for Desiree Reed Francois? Uh, I'll tell you what, Adam. That's like asking me if I want extra drizzle on the Frappuccino. Uh, an automatic yes. Uh, as I, I wrote this morning, if you're her, you walk to Columbia. Nobody's ever said that in their lives. Uh, I think Jared's <laughs> been to Columbia, Missouri. I have, too. I don't know if I'd ever – well, I don't want to fly there, never walk there. But it's a Power 5 job. It's Missouri. It's the SEC. Uh, she had to take it, obviously, right away. She's wanted to go to the Power 5. That's why her name's been on every list in America the last year or so for these Power 5 openings. It's in her in her world. I think it's a slam dunk. Ed, there's no question. There should not be a moment of hesitation if Missouri makes the call to Desiree Reed Francois. Even though I don't think Missouri is a very good job, uh, I think Missouri is a place that is going to be very difficult to win uh, in the SEC. However, it is still the SEC, right? And when you look at the way college football especially but all of the ncaa is shaping up do you want to be with the haves or do you want to be with the have-nots yep and she's going to be with the haves yeah uh couple couple figures uh uh, that's all you need so the sec distributed 40 almost 46 million to each of its member schools in 2020 in a pandemic and is on pace listen to this for 2024 2025 they estimate the sec will get taken 1.3 billion dollars in revenue the Mountain West, on the other hand, signed a new rights deal. Every school is going to get about $4 million. I mean, if that doesn't completely paint the picture of, the, like you said, the haves and have-nots, the rich and poor of college athletics, what you can do as an AD in both of those schools, I mean, it's beyond night and day. Um, and she wanted to be in the P5. That was obvious. Your name, do- your name doesn't appear on as many lists as it did with her, and she doesn't want to go to the Power 5. And here's the thing, Adam. I don't blame her. She's a climber. She wanted to get to the highest level. I have no, no problem at all with that. Most people in life, not everyone, but most people in life aren't going to turn down a higher position in their profession for a heck of a lot more money. That would make, you know, I mean, to most people, it would make no sense. Some people, I guess they wouldn't want that. But I think you and I both agree that good for her. I think people should say good for her as she leaves in terms of that job. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what her legacy here will be viewed as. But I have no problem with her going. I This is what she wanted. And like you said, it's this SEC. Not a great SEC school and certainly not one that's won at many things, and especially in the like the main sport. Um, but, you know, this is good for her. I, I, I think she should have gone in, in a second. 
And as you mentioned, those other jobs, UCLA most prominently among them, where she was an alum. And, you know, there's a little sense of disappointment there, I think, that that job didn't uh, materialize for her. That probably was the ideal setup. And, you know, what? I'll add to what you're saying about about the climbing. I don't even know if you necessarily have to be a climber to make this move. I think you can look (laughs) at this move and say... I do this regardless because I don't think we looked at Lon Kruger in his career and said, well, he's going to, you know, he's going up to Oklahoma. He's a climber. No, I think we looked at Lon Kruger and just said, yeah, that that you're offered more money to go to a bigger conference, to a more storied program. Absolutely. I'm going to do it. And it's something interesting to me, Ed, about the idea of um, she wanted to move up and when this opportunity comes, you take it. I'm going to read. Let me read you a statement and then let me ask you a question about who made this statement. Desiree brings a variety of quality experiences to student athletes as a leader on many campuses and in many conferences. As she continues to build the University of Missouri athletics program, I look forward to working with her in her new role as we continue the progress of the SEC. That quote came from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Mm-hmm. Ed, you've covered college athletics for a long time. You remember a lot of times where the conference commissioner weighed in on the hiring of an athletics director? <laughs> Certainly not five minutes after she was hired. Usually hmm. you get, and Missouri announced it last, last night, so usually you get the school president who made the hire mm-hmm. talking on. You, you know, sometimes you'll get colleagues of hers or coaches and stuff like that, but no, a conference commissioner, now maybe in time they're asked about, hey, you know, a month ago they hired Desiree Reed Francois. What do you think about this for the league? But not as fast as Sankey came out with that uh, quote, statement, whatever it was. You're exactly right. I can't remember that happening. I mean, we're close. Obviously, we're closely tied with the Mountain West in terms of who we cover. So it would be Craig Thompson. And, and I think in the past I've seen when people are hired, you know, eventually he'll have a comment on it. But it was almost like the commissioner had a comment, you know, as, you know, before at the same time as the president who hired her, which I thought and was the- interesting. I thought that was very interesting. I thought that if you want to play connect the dots, you can say that uh, the relationship that Desiree Reed Francois reportedly has with Greg Sankey did not hurt uh, in making this connection. And that's not to say she had any sort of upper hand that she shouldn't have. That's just the way this business works. Uh, You know, that's absolutely the way that that it goes. And look, she, you know, I know we talked about the fact that. She had just signed a four-year extension here, but yeah. extensions for athletic directors don't mean any more than no. they mean for coaches. Nothing, and not not no nothing. Not if you then get a power five job. I mean, football coaches, basketball coaches, we know what their contracts really mean to them when better jobs come around. They don't mean anything. And look, I'm not I'm not pigeonholing them. I'm I'm people in our business, Adam. People in your business. People in everyone's business. If you get a chance to elevate yourself for a lot more money, most people would accept that you know opportunity. So it's not just coaches, but you're right. As we've seen in collegiate athletics, they're not worth the paper they're signed on. If a better job comes around, I mean, and that's fine. Like I said, the last thing I want to bring apart or bring out in the show today is anything negative towards her taking the position. She should have taken the position if this is what she wants. Now, let me ask you this, because I think this is the next fair question. How do you view her job here? And I'll preface it with this, because there's a difference between fundraising and hiring. I, I don't know if they always go hand in hand. But I don't think we really can give her a final grade until the two coaches and two coaches, specifically, I'll say one coach, Marcus Arroyo, because he's a football coach. We see in the next few years how he does. Now, she hired, she fired Marvin Menzies and hired T.J. Osberger. He wasn't very good, and the only reason he went to Iowa State is he knew everyone there, and his family was there, and he's going home. T.J. Osberger would have never sniffed a P5 job. He hadn't been any good here. 
She fired Tony Sanchez. We know all about Marcus Arroyo. He hasn't done anything. He was 0-6 a pandemic season. His team's got a 1.5 total this year. Now, maybe he'll ex- exceed that. Maybe he'll be great. We have no idea. She elevated Kevin Kruger to the basketball spot. No one has any clue how he'll do. Maybe he'll be great. Maybe he won't be. So in my mind, as I read, in the, as I said in the paper today, I think it's incomplete. <laughs> uh, you got it? Incomplete. I, and at this very point... Without knowing anything else, just at this very point, sitting here on, what is it, August 9th, it's a D for her coaching hires because, D. and you know this wasn't, you're, you're an official in town. It's great they're winning in softball and women's basketball and women's volleyball. Here it is. Nobody cares except those coaches and those players and the fans of those teams. It's about football and men's basketball in 2021. That's all it's about. People hate to hear that from those other sports. Sorry, that's reality. Welcome to reality. So to me, it's the best she gets right now is incomplete, and it's incomplete. lower than it's lower than that. So let's judge those hires for a second because that's what we do with coaches too, right? Athletic directors hire coaches, and we judge athletic directors based on their coaches. Coaches recruit players, and we judge coaches based on how they recruit those players. Right. And so let's start with the good parts because I'm a sunny individual. It's Monday morning. <laughs> that's what I, told, I, that's what I say about you all the time. To get off on a great start. You, you go around and you say, Adam Candy, that guy is full of sunshine. So <laughs> the good parts are that, yes, as you mentioned, her women's basketball hire, Lindy LaRock, uh, was Mountain West Coach of the Year last year. Don Sullivan in volleyball has taken... The, that program to the NCAAs. Uh, Christy Fox with softball has turned uh, the ship around there. I think you can point to a lot of her hires and point to the profile of her hires, which is she tended to hire young. She tended to hire fairly unproven. Uh, she tended to hire in a way that was going to give those coaches a chance to grow up with their programs. Now, sunshine has some clouds at times. Um, <laughs> And so Marcus Arroyo was 0-6, as you said. T.J. Otzelberger was 29-30. and 30. Um, And they did a very good job of spinning that as, well, if the Power Five is coming for our coaches, clearly we did a good job. As you said, Ed, the Power Five didn't come. Ames, Iowa came. Right, right. And, and his wife's alma mater, where he used to coach, came. So, uh, and Kevin Kruger was hired for, in their words, continuity, and then the entire program turned over, right? Like right. There, there are just a couple of players left uh, from past years. But the biggest thing that we haven't talked about that we have to talk about in grading her is the budget. We have to talk about the money because as you talked about in 2021, it's about football and men's basketball. Well, it's about football and men's basketball because of the budget. It's about the fact that those are the revenue generating programs. So let's keep in something in mind. Desiree Reed Francois arrived in 2017 to a $5 million deficit in the UNLV athletics budget. And what happened? Len Jessup, the president at that time, took one stroke of the pen and said, it's gone. You no longer have a deficit. So she came in on even footing and then proceeded with TJ Otzelberger and Marcus Arroyo to hand out the two largest coaching contracts in terms of salary in the history of the Mountain West Conference. Um, specifically to basketball and football. Two of the largest, I believe, I should say, uh, not the two largest. That being said, largest in the history of the state for sure. Marcus Arroyo is going to make between one and a half and $1.6 million. And here's the key point. UNLV will owe Marcus Arroyo 75% of his remaining salary for the life of the contract if they fire him. And they were going to owe TJ Otzelberger a lot of money too had he not left of his own accord. 
And at the time these contracts went out, the first thought I had was, good luck to the next athletic director because she's not going to be here to see the end of these contracts one way or the other. Because if they work out, she's gone to a job like Missouri. And if they don't work out, she's going to lose her job before those coaches lose their job because it costs a lot less money to fire her than it does to, to fire them. So at this point, not being able to judge the success of those programs in terms of on the field, on the court, but being able to judge the budget hole that it could leave UNLV in, factoring in the sunshine that I brought from the beginning, Jared, it's a C. C. And to your point, like you said, if it worked out, she'd be to Missouri. It hasn't even worked out, and she's already in Missouri. So she didn't have to wait around to see if football and men's basketball worked out. Um, in terms of the money she gave them, and again, maybe they're great. And I'll, you know, you know me. I'm not gonna. I'm usually not to perceive, especially out at that school, Mr. Sunshine. But maybe they're great. Maybe Arroyo wins more than two games this year. Maybe Kevin Kruger, with all these new players, is terrific. You, you know, we can say it because we can't prove it. Le, Le, you know, the, the Lou Holtz line we we love. No one can prove it. No one knows. But at the end of the day, two or three years from now. If Royal has been fired, and if Kevin Kruger's had two or three straight losing seasons, she failed in those fires. Or excuse me, she failed in those hires. It's just the way it is. She'll be judged. And, and again, people don't like this. She'll be judged on those two hires. And Don has done a great job, and Christy has done a great job, and Lindy did do a great job. But nothing, it, the reason nothing matters in this country than football is what's happening right now in college football. Nothing else matters, whether it's Texas and Oklahoma's going to the SEC, whether it's all these whispers about, you know, power conferences. No one's saying there's going to be a power conference because you got a good volleyball team. No one thinks everyone's splitting because you got a good softball team. It's about one sport and one sport only, and they've been terrible at it for a long time. So we'll see and, what Arroyo does. And we will absolutely have a look at that. And, it, again, we are not going to judge the man entirely on a pandemic season. No, it's you can't. It's impossible to do that. Yeah. That being said, if we are to take any signs from it, they're not great. And he did not show a demeanor uh, for the job. He was very secretive. We all we know, you know, half jokingly about blocking Tyler on Twitter, essentially, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just a, a thin, a very thin skin. And that doesn't bode well for a job where you have to be able to take some lumps because of the history that you just mentioned, Ed. And the reason we have to judge football, whether it's Marcus Arroyo or Desiree Reed Francois, more harshly is what did we hear for years? They don't have the facilities to compete. When you bring in a recruit, what are they looking at? Well, they're looking at old Sam Boyd and some broken down weight rooms in the lead athletic complex, right? Well, that's all gone now, right? The, the $35 million for Tita complex is open. Allegiant Stadium is there. There are no more excuses for this football program. You have a million and a half dollar a year coach. There are zero excuses left for this football program. And that's why we're going to end up judging Desiree Reed Francois' hire here, even posthumously beyond her being in the job. Not because we want to be hard on her, but because this is the first real chance we've had to evaluate the UNLV football program on the terms that it said it needed to be evaluated on. Great stuff there. We'll continue throughout the show. Mike Ramal at 8.30, 9 o'clock. We want your calls. What do you think about the AD position? This is your chance, UNLV fans. We hear all the time about how many UNLV fans are out there. Well, let's see what happens at 9 o'clock at 9.30. Former UNLV director Jim Livengood on what's happened. Back after this with some Gruden. For me, it's every day try to get a little bit better and not think about whatever happened a year ago because that's not any of my business. And we just keep keep on from January until we get to our first game. New Raiders defensive back coach Ron Milas coming back. Uh, 
I, I actually liked yet another quote. Uh, Camp is not a prison, but it's not a country club. It's actually a good quote. Uh, I, you know, again, it's not a country club. It's not prison, prison either, but uh, given how their DBs have played, uh, they uh, better. But I'll leave it at this. Given how their DBs played last year, Adam, it better be serious, no matter which one I define it as. Uh, their defensive backs better be locked into something. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Learning, I would hope. Yeah. Uh, Raiders at Allegiant yesterday. I don't. I had to, like I said, run up and write the Desiree stuff. But there, at first, there was estimates of there'd be twenty thousand. Then a couple policemen were telling us in the sideline they thought ten to twelve. Either way, it was cool to see people back there, especially for football. I've been to a concert there. Other people I know have been to concerts there and other events. The Gold Cup, obviously, for soccer. But this is Raiders, and they're you know they're incredible fans for their team, and they're passionate, and they were excited to be back. Um, couple clips here. Afterwards, after the practice, it was it was shell drills or what you know they weren't full pads, they were in shorts. Um, but you know I think people just wanted to see them. They had the intros to all the too deep for the offensive and defensive players. Not a shock. Carr got the biggest ovation. He was last out. Uh, but afterwards, uh, John Gruden spoke on several matters. This is John Gruden on having fans at Allegiant. You know, it's a new home for us. You know, we uh, came obviously last year and didn't see any fans at our home games. Uh, but Raider Nation, uh, the Raider fans are special. And uh, to have a man in Allegiant Stadium for the first time was was very, very, very good. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome there, Adam Candy. I guess he sounded excited. I, I don't know when he's ever excited. I mean, he, he says awesome a lot, and he, sometimes he smiles, sometimes he doesn't. But, uh, I mean, how do you th- How cool do you think it was just to get people in there, just kind of get the feeling of, all right, somewhat back to normal. Or, you know, people had masks on, as they should in the, at this point. But, um I think I thought it was pretty cool just to have people in there like cheering for the Raiders, and it's not a complete preview of what it's going to be like uh, against Seattle in the exhibition game, but it's a start. I kind of feel like it's do it while you can with the way things are going COVID-wise right yeah. now. Um, yeah. like get folks into the stadium and let them enjoy it while they can, because there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to do this at full capacity throughout the entire season. I know the NFL will want that uh, come hell or high water, but. State by state, uh, we don't know what Governor Sisolak will ultimately say about uh, capacity restrictions, et cetera, et cetera, because we've already seen the mask mandate go back in place. That all being said, um, yes, I think it's great for people, not only Raiders fans, to be able to get into that stadium, but if you want to be technical about it, like it is a stadium that has $750 million of public investment in it, and people would like to go in there and see what they got. So I think it's great. Darren Waller was introduced, by the way. Um, Willie Ramirez wrote it for the AP. He was given an unofficial count of 13,000. So that makes sense. There, there, you know, I mean, you could see there had been like 13,000 there, and they're excited. Um, Darren Waller was there. He actually was introduced. He had a sweatshirt on under the jersey. He didn't participate. This is the first, you know, this is what, three, four, five straight days that he has not participated in anything. We've seen him lifting weights out of practice in the weight room. Uh, it appears they continue to say it's nothing overly serious that he will be ready when the time is to be ready. Uh, this is John Gruden giving an update on Darren Waller. I think he's going to be okay. We're being very careful with him. He's he's working out very hard with the trainers, and it's given us an opportunity, honestly, to look at the other tight ends and some other receivers. We've got a competitive camp. I think you saw the ball distribution today. We didn't run Jacobs much either. Uh, we know what those guys can do, and we're – we're anxious to see who, who their partners are going to be when the season starts. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
I want to know what you think here, but unless it's completely serious, and I don't think it is, because, again, he's been around at practice. You've seen him in the weight room. I don't know if they've had him in or lifting, if it was something overly serious. Uh, but my opinion on him is, look, I don't know how many snaps you give this guy in the preseason. You cannot have anything happen to this guy. So I would be ultra careful with him, even if it's a sprained toe. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't do anything with this guy at this point. As long as you believe he can be in condition enough to start a season, what would be the point of putting Darren Waller in harm's way? There is no point. But we get to speculate on this because of the way the Raiders are choosing to handle this, right? right? They don't have to put out an official injury report. And so we're not finding out anything about what's going on here with Darren Waller. And it's not the Golden Knights. We don't have to approach this with huge skepticism based on how they talk to us about injuries. That being said, remember Trent Brown last year? I was like, oh, he's just working out on the side. Oh, he's fine. Oh, no big deal. Now, granted, Trent Brown had his own issues uh, that the organization has not been shy about telling us about this training camp. Uh, but at the same time, every day that it's it's okay, he'll be all right, that we don't have more of an answer because of how much he means to this team right. and to this offense. Right. And frankly, he might be the single most important player outside of Derek Carr to their success. It is worrying. What if worst case scenario something's wrong? Are you are you confident? I mean, he's certainly uh, certainly good in an interview. Given the other day he had two reporters play rock paper scissors in terms of who answered the next question. So I wish we would get this guy every day on the interview uh, podium talking. But massive massive drop off. Let's just go with that. Let's go with the obvious uh, obvious point that it's a massive massive drop off. Are you confident in Foster Moreau? Maybe not being Darren Waller, but being what they need out of a tight end if, in fact, those receivers, the Ruggs, the Edwards, and others, the Renfros continue to develop, the Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. I mean, how much could they get by as we obviously admit how good Darren Waller is? First of all, just a comment on Foster Moreau. Anybody who can playfully take reporters and say dance, monkey dance, yes. I think is uh, an athlete that we need to celebrate. Yes. Like, good for him. Good for him. Have some fun with the whole thing. Uh, that being said, when we talk about how much players who are not quarterbacks mean to a team, I think we generally overestimate. I think we, you know, it, the quarterback means a lot to the point spread. The quarterback means a lot to wins. But Darren Waller in particular, because of what he does to every other player on that offense at the skill positions is hugely important because the drop-off to Foster Moreau is big. And that's not to say Foster Moreau is not performing up to or above expectations. He spent a lot of last year as one of the highest-graded pro football-focused players week in and week out for the Raiders. He also didn't get a full chance you know, to show what he can do because they were weekended Bernie-zing uh, Jason Witten out there for week after week. So, you know... Ultimately, this team cannot get by for any significant period of time without Darren Waller, not only because of his ability to catch the football, but because of what he opens up for everybody else. Great stuff there. When we come back, we'll continue on with the Raiders. It's Case Kiefer of the Las Vegas Sun. Yeah, it is fun. It's always been fun. That's why I came back to coach, uh, especially with the Raiders. It's always been, you know, the best time of my life. And um, to share it with Raider fans again for the first time in a long time was, was special. And I just can only imagine what it's going to be like when Seattle comes in to start the season. It'll be uh, uh, very loud, I would expect. John Gruden coming back. Once again, Mike Romal at 8.30, Jim Livingood at 9.30, 9 o'clock. Keep hearing how interested UNLV fans about their athletic department. Well, it's your turn to call in at 9 about Desiree Reed Francois, what you want them to do with the next AD. 
Pleased to be joined now, though. Follow him on Twitter at Case Kiefer. He's a writer for the Las Vegas Sun, covering the Raiders. Case, how are you this morning? Um, I'm doing well. Happy to uh, chat some Raiders with yeah. you. Well, before we get to that, what were you most impressed by yesterday? The crowd of 13,000 that showed up to Legion Stadium for practice or my lack of complete music knowledge? Uh, I will say, without a doubt, the highlight yesterday was uh, what was my actual Paradise City or maybe Welcome to the Jungle. And yeah. I asked you who it was, and you, uh, I, I gave you a hint. It, they were coming to Allegiant Stadium, and you guessed straight-faced Rolling Stone. Yes. So I, I don't think – I mean, the Raiders might have to go to the Super Bowl to have a, a moment <laughs> – <laughs> well, you, you 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 set me up there. I, we gave away Rolling Stones tickets last week, so what the hell did I know? Uh, what did you, Darren? Uh, um, we're to, uh, case we were talking about when you before you came on about Darren Waller. Uh, he's been out for a while. You've been out at practice. Yesterday we saw him kind of jog out and wave to the fans. Gruden afterwards, it's not serious. Is it time to think it's serious? Uh, you know, I, I lean towards no. I, I think maybe it is time where, if you're a Raiders fan, to be a little bit concerned. I mean, it is a whole week now, but um, like you said, we saw him jog yesterday. Uh, if, if you were looking hard enough in practice last week, you could easily see him in the weight room, uh, you know, lifting weights, doing some things. So I, I, I lean towards they're actually telling us the truth. Uh, this time I know that's always a, a tricky thing to do, but that, you know, it is nothing serious and that. Um, they're, they're kind of using the opportunity to uh, rest him. They know what they have in him, and they're getting a chance to see other guys catch the ball. And it really does seem like that's what's, ha- what's happened. Uh, you're seeing targets and, and uh, balls thrown to guys that probably wouldn't have as many opportunities as Darren Waller was out there every day. Case, we were talking a little bit before you came on about how much Darren Waller means, not just in terms of his ability to catch the ball, but obviously as uh, someone who opens up the offense for the rest of this team. Uh, I was looking at their win total, the Raiders' win total at most sports books, seven and a half. If Darren Waller were out for any significant period of time, uh, would you adjust that number at all based solely on a tight end? Ooh, I, I, I love this question. This is uh, right up my alley. I mean, that, that's pretty tough for a tight end, as great as he is. But as we all know, I mean, he's more than a tight end, too. I mean, he is there. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's no uh, stretch to say he, he is their best player. So maybe... Um, a half win or, or you know, uh, some, some, some juice on one side, um, you could convince me. I, just, I, I don't think it would be uh, that significant, at least from a, uh, you know, betting perspective. And uh, t- to be honest, since, since we're just uh, treading in this territory, I, I think the win total is already pretty low. I mean, it's one of the lowest in the league, and uh, there, there's only so much uh, more room you could adjust downwards. Uh, you know, I, I think this team's already a little bit better than the perception uh so I don't know. I'll tell you if, if there's a huge move, I would be uh, I'd be looking at the Raiders over one way or another. All right, let me ask you this and uh, kind of delve into the uh, side of things where both you and Adam are complete experts, and I know nothing. But I want to ask you this because you said the win totals may be a little low. Uh, what what do you think a fair total would be? And give us the number at this point. I know it's really early. They haven't played a preseason game that you'd be comfortable betting in terms of how good you think they could be. Yeah, well, I even, uh, and it may adjust it now, but I think when they opened, there was even a six and a half in town. I think it was like minus 140 uh, for the over. That was that void, uh, which I think is just ridiculous. I mean, this team, you, you can say what you want, but they've been pretty decent over the last few years. I just don't see them being among the absolute uh, dregs in the league. Uh, I think fair, honestly, is probably around eight, maybe. Uh, I mean, eight and a half is pretty high. you you got, you got to remember, you got to look at these things as a market. In a market, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people rushing out to bet eight and a half. But, you know, if it was me, I'd probably make it eight. I mean, they went eight and eight last year. 
Um, the schedule has its tough parts, has its easy parts, but I think right around 500 um, is where you'd have to peg this team again. Yeah, okay, so I'm right with you in the fact that they're overall undervalued in the market, and I think that they're an 8-9 and team. But, I mean, right now on the East Coast, there are places where you can get get it at 7, uh, minus 10 both sides. So, you know, I think that's definitely undervalued on where this Raiders team goes. Uh, when you look at the team overall, and you talked about the 8-8 eight and eight from last year, uh, how improved does the defense have to be for them to have a chance at cracking 9, cracking 10, or... Can improvements with this offense, can improvements with Henry Ruggs, et cetera, be enough to carry them a little bit higher? I, I think uh, you nailed it. It has to be the defense. The defense has to make a big leap. Um, I mean, offensively, this team has been really good the last two years. I think uh, I think that's where the break in perception we keep talking about is. I think people don't realize how good they've been. Now, have they been the, the Kansas City Chiefs or the Baltimore Ravens? No, but they've been a solid uh, top 10, even if it's the back of the top 10 offense. And uh, I mean, offense is more predictable year to year. I think they're still going to be right there, even if they take a little step back with with the line and stuff. So it, it really does come down to what kind of leap this defense can make. And, you know, maybe I'm drinking the cool a little bit, but I just, from seeing these guys up close and just seeing what they brought in, I just have a tough time believing the defense is going to be as bad as it was last year. Now you're going to need a big leap to get into to playoff contention and better than 500 and stuff like that. But you know, I, I just think they've brought in some good pieces. They have some, some good ideas of what they're doing up front to generate pressure. So I think at the very least it's going to be a little bit better. Um, but to ultimately get to where they want to be, it's, it's going to need to go from one of the worst in the league to the very least average. I don't know if they're quite there yet, but, you know, I, I think they'll be a top 20 defense, which sounds like faint praise, but for the Raiders that's a, a big step up compared to the past few years. Are you a believer that Ruggs and Edwards will improve as much as John Gruden says they will? Um, I think to say they'll get better in their second year leap, you know, really uh, for, for Edwards, the thing that concerns me the most is just uh, his injury history. Um, I think to me, he's flashed even more than Ruggs in practice. I know Ruggs has had some big days and that's kind of what I think he's going to be like going forward. He's going to be a guy that, you know, can have a huge game and then kind of disappear. I think Edwards is the one you're looking for for more steady production and, uh, it's another Grudenism to say, uh, you know, availability is the, the biggest uh, factor in, in what you can do where he always preaches availability. And I, I just need to see it for a full season where Edwards can stay on the field. I, I think that's going to be his biggest hurdle. Case, I'll delve back into the betting side for just a moment here as you talked about the fact that, you know, the Raiders have one of the lower win totals out there. Are there any win totals in particular that you've looked at across the NFL and thought that there's still decent value left at this point? Uh, well, just since it, it, I guess it connects well with the uh, Raiders, I, I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves with the uh, Chargers here. I mean, their win totals go in the opposite direction of, of the Raiders, and everyone just can't wait to, to jump on the Chargers. I mean, there's some things that, that you know kind of concern me uh, about this team this year. Look, I, I think they did make a great head coach uh, hire in Staley. I'm as high on him as everyone else, but he doesn't really have the pieces to run exactly like what he did with the Rams last year. It's going to take a while to get that in, and you know, we always look at progression being so linear. It doesn't always happen like that. I'm not just so sure that, you know, Justin Herbert's going to go from uh, rookie of the year to automatic MVP candidate. You know, I think he has that upside, but I think it's just a little dangerous to uh, already be assuming that. So sticking in the AFC West, I, I really like it. Um, some under nine and a half on the Chargers. 
Uh, is I mean, everyone's saying Kansas City. Obviously, it's the easy pick. Uh, you know, they, they go down the last game last year. Do you see any kind of regression from them? Or I would think they're being picked for the AFC West, but do they continue to be the elite of the football the football world, especially from the AFC? Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to say otherwise when you have a Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you kind of have a uh, regression fighter right there. Uh, he, he kind of makes everything uh, – he kind of makes it impossible to bottom out too much. And what they've done on the offensive line, uh, I mean, they're the rightful favorites. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's tough to get to Super Bowls every single year. So I don't think they're going 16-1 and one or 17-0 and 0, uh, or anything, and I think they will have some challenges. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm still really high on the Ravens. They're one team I've been in the Super Bowl market. I think they're 20 to one at Circa, which I think is just outrageous. Uh, I mean, we, we tend to overreact to these playoff flameouts. I, I think they're getting kind of an unfair shake of that. So, um, I, I think the Chiefs are the rightful favorites. But, but selfishly, if you're asking me to make a pick right now, I might say the Ravens uh, finally break to do it. With the Ravens, do you think Lamar Jackson has to improve as a passer, or do you think that they've just been caught on the wrong side of uh, variance in the playoffs these last couple of years running the running-based offense that they have? Yeah, I, I know probably uh, it's controversial, but I, I just lean more uh, more towards the latter. Um, you know, I, I think there are steps, strides where he can get better, and I, and I do expect him to do that. I think we saw some of that last year. But, you know, just, just a few things break differently. Um, you know, there were a lot of fluky things in the Titans loss uh, two years ago. I think they kind of dominated the box score, if I remember correctly. And then uh, last year, obviously, the Bills were on uh, a real tear there. But that was really a close game, you know, fundamentally. Uh, they they could have broken either way. I think just just one or two things go differently. And it always works out this way. Um, then we'd be singing a whole different tune. So, you know, I, I just look at them as a really complete team that kind of has everything in place. And if they catch a break or two, uh, they'll be right there. Well, Raiders fans want to thank you for talking about the Ravens as they open up here on Monday Night Football, so that'll be a good one. Uh, They're very excited about your pick there. Let's flip uh, flip the script to the NFC. Um, Again, Brady, you know, last year, and you know, he keeps going, and I don't know, he's like 50 by now. Uh, Who do you like there looking at the numbers in terms of the NFC? And look, I mean, can Tampa, is it, I I don't bet against Brady for whatever, for obvious reasons, but could they repeat? Yeah, I mean, that, that's another clear favorite to me. I mean, I, I think the, Buc- the Buccaneers absolutely deserve to be up there. The one thing that really concerns me um, with, with Tampa that, that I think maybe not enough credit's being put in is just how healthy they stayed last year. I mean, this isn't a depth. This isn't a team with a lot of depth at all. They have probably the best starting 11 on both sides. Um, and last year they were really fortunate that everyone was, uh, you know, for the most part able to stay healthy. I think they lost as few games as anyone in the league. And it's just hard to do that two years in a row. So, you know, anyone that says the Buccaneers are going to do it again and that they should be at the top of the betting board, I'm, I'm not going to argue. I just, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like some, some injury luck regression is coming their way, uh, and, and maybe that, that's one thing that could keep you off of them and look somewhere else for value. Well, I just want to take a moment to uh, to pump up Case's betting picks. If you don't follow uh, what he does in terms of handicapping the NFL in particular, you should be. He's going to help you uh, be a little sharper and make a little money. Uh, keep an eye on what Case does uh, for Las Vegas Sun and beyond. So there, there you go, buddy. That, that was just for you. Thank you, Adam. I, I, I very much appreciate it. <laughs> Give me one song. Just one song, any song. Well, I mean, it, it, it's Ed Graney, so it's got to be Drake, right? That, that's the running gag. You, you guess uh, Drake for everything. Let's go with uh, the language by Drake. Okay. Well, if you would have said the language, I would have just said Drake. Because oh, oh, 50, yeah, no, just, just any song, oh, and I, I got to guess. It, it, 
It's early in the morning. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be better on my toes uh, next time. There you go. I'll say Drake no matter what. Follow him on Twitter at Case Kiever. Does an amazing job for Las Vegas Sun, covering the Raiders, gambling, and many, many other things. Give him a follow. Thanks, Case. Case, we appreciate it, man. All right. Yep. Good talking to you guys. You too. Case Kiefer, yeah. Oh, he was disgusted with me yesterday. Gave me an ACD song. He said, yeah, they're coming to the stadium. I said, Rolling Stones, what do I know? He was, he was just disgusted with me. You kind of have to understand just how into music Case is, though. Oh, like, he's an expert, like, this guy. He's, he's, you know, he's deep down into it. Uh, oh. In, you know, like if if Spencer Patterson, who covers, uh, you know, music over a Greenspun, trusts Case to talk to him, yeah. then he clearly knows no. something. No, it, it, Adam Hill is disgusted at my lack of knowledge. I think Case, being the expert he is, was more pity. Like, it was more pity like, looking at oh. him. Like, it was, he was so sad looking at me like, dude, dude, please. Um, no, you could have you just stopped at Adam Hill is disgusted. Yes. And, and Adam Hill and, and my children are disgusted as well for many reasons, including the music with me. But uh, that is what Adam Hill does. I've told you before, there's a song at the stadium or practice. He goes, who is it? I guess Drake. 50% of the time I'm right, which is pretty good for me. But when he gave me ACDC yesterday, and I said to Stones, Case gave me the look of pity, and Adam Hill almost fainted. I, he, he was I, so I genuinely thought it was Guns N' Roses. that he Maybe gave it was you. Guns N' Roses. See, that's the thing. So, I, I don't even know what he gave me. I just said Rolling Stones because they're coming. We gave tickets away last week. I don't know what concerts are coming to Legion Stadium. That was two weeks ago. Well, there you go. All right. When we come back, <laughs> we'll stay with football and the Hall of Fame. We've got some speeches. Next year, accepted speeches will probably shrink to four minutes. And speaking of rivals, my good friend Tom Brady is here tonight. By the time he is inducted... By the time Tom Brady is inducted in his first year of eligibility in the year 2035, he'll only have time to post his acceptance speech on his Instagram account. Peyton Manning. Oh, they're even booing Brady at the Hall of Fame. He says, my good friend, they just start booing the hell out of Brady. Brady turns around, I think he's like, you're booing me now? This guy's getting inducted to the Hall of Fame and you're booing me? Back at it, it's Ed, Adam Candy, and Jared. Tyler back tomorrow. Uh, Adam will be with them. I'll be out at Raiders practice, and uh, I'm sure there'll be more with Tyler. It's more Desiree Reed francois talk. I'm just going out on a limb there that he'll want to talk about UNLV. Do you, are you a fan of these Hall of Fame speeches? Do you, do you tape them? Do you watch them? Uh, taping them would seem slight overkill based on the ability to get them on YouTube like a half hour later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I pay attention as much as... You know, if someone is giving that Michael Jordan kind of speech and just deciding to flame everyone, then I think those are fun. Uh, the ones where they're thanking their third grade teacher. I mean, yeah, you, you've earned it. That doesn't mean I have to pay attention. I thought Manning, that was the one I really wanted to see because uh, we knew he'd be pretty funny. And he's in his post career, football career. He's certainly been. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, as good as you might have expected, probably even better than you expected in terms of, you know, the dry sense of humor and what he's done on SNL and all the commercials. I I don't know if we saw that entire persona of him in football. Um, a little bit of it, there'd be a little some clips here or there, like, oh, that's kind of funny. But then in postseason, or post-career, I think the guy's been absolutely terrific. Uh, play another cut. This is Peyton Manning during his uh, speech yesterday uh, while being inducted to the Hall of Fame. 
When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun with every flag pulled, every tackle made, every pass thrown, every run, block, sack, and touchdown scored. The audience here tonight is made up of diehard fans who feel football deep in your bones. Now, we may have ignited the fire, but you, you have fanned the flames. Inevitably, those flames will be whipped by the winds of change, but they don't need to smolder. The future of this game is ours to shape. We just need to take tomorrow on our shoulders as readily as we donned our pads before each game. Let this moment become a cherished memory. And then remember, a legacy is only worthwhile when there is a future to fuel. God bless you, and God bless football. Uh, I thought that was terrific. And, and they went to the announcers, and Eisen said that was an you know, ode to football. And, you know, I didn't know what you think about it. I mean, that wasn't surprising coming from him, how much he loved the game. And, uh, you know, he talked about his dad, obviously, his brothers, his, his family. But... Of all the people up there, I mean, he he has this incredible appreciation for football and what it did for him, and to kind of put it back on not only the fans but obviously all the football players and all the greats in that in the uh, in attendance yesterday, uh, I thought was really cool. I mean, he obviously loves football, says he coaches his son's flag game and he wants to get back to youth. Um, so I thought his presentation was pretty cool all the way to the end. Look, Peyton Manning literally grew up with a football in his hands mm -hmm. from the time he was an infant. I mean, this was fate for Peyton Manning. It's just that he worked very hard to turn fate into reality. Right. And the speech that he gave was like a politician running for president of football. Yeah. Uh, you know, God, uh, God bless everybody. God bless football. God bless the United States of America. Thank you. And they start playing hail to the chief and he walks off, you know, like that, that was perfect for what you would expect, uh, what you would expect out of Peyton Manning and his relationship to the game of football. And so, you know, for Peyton Manning to give that speech almost makes you feel like there's more coming for him, right? Like this is not the end when it comes to the career of Peyton Manning when it comes to football. And we know that he's going to be doing the alternate broadcast for ESPN on Monday Night Football with uh, with Eli Manning, which, by the way, uh, I think is appointment viewing uh, if you're going to be watching mm -hmm. Monday Night Football. So doofy. But at the same time, it makes you feel like, could you see Peyton Manning in some sort of role in the league office some some point down the line? It, it felt like it was the kind of speech that lent itself to Peyton Manning saying he'd be open to it. I'm so glad you said that. So I'm playing it at the house. My wife's somewhere else now, but it's pretty loud, so she's listening. She didn't know who it was. Uh, she had no idea. And she came in and said, is that guy a politician? Like, what are you watching? Like, she literally thought... He was like a politician, and at the end, I told her who it was. She goes, that guy's got to run for office. She goes, if you just listen to that, like you just said, if you listen to that, you're like, this guy could get elected somewhere in terms of, and I don't, look, you said, like, is in the front office. I think he's above coaching. Nothing against coaching. I think the guy's way above coaching. So you're right, Adam. I think, you know, I don't know what his future plans are. Obviously, you know, he's got the family, he coaches his kid, but, I mean, would it be any kind of negative if this guy actually was in a decision-making position with that league? Nope, not at all. And I, I think his ambitions probably will be more lucrative than that in the yeah. end. <laughs> Pey 
Peyton Manning the team owner. Right. right? Yeah. I, like, yeah. I think you could absolutely see Peyton Manning owning a franchise and wielding the kind of power that a Jerry Jones has wielded, even if he doesn't have the same wealth and fortune as Jerry Jones. He certainly carries the cachet within the game to be able to do that. Uh, 8.15, we'll get around to more of this, and we'll go into Charles Woodson and Tom Flores, the fa uh, former Raiders, who were also inducted yesterday. We'll play you a few yeah. of their clips and what John Gruden uh, had to say about both of them after the practice at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. So coming up, Charles Woodson and Tom Flores later in the show.